Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. It's Baldy, Binksy and Lippy with you this evening. We've got, as always, a packed show. Glenn Phillips' aggression pays off for New Zealand. Was this the worst test match pitch ever? We'll do a bit of a spin watch as well, which we always do when you two are on the pod. We'll talk a little bit of Australia, Pakistan, a preview, and who's going to open the batting when David Warner finally rides off into the cricketing sunset. We're also going to cover England versus West Indies. Central contracts are loose as, apparently, in the English cricket board. Ben Duckett, the only high point for the English boys. Uncapped spinners to India. And Big Bash, what went wrong in Geelong? All coming up on the Top <laughs> Order podcast. Stay tuned. How long have you been sitting on that line? <laughs> I've been sitting on what went wrong in Geelong for a little while, boys. But um, we'll probably finish with that, I think, in terms of our, um, our sort of, I don't know, look at cricketing trivia. Um, but yeah, for those of you that don't know what I'm going on about, there's a match abandoned in the Big Bash um, due to a dangerous... Uh, dangerous pitch um, which we'll come on to but I think we've got to start with New Zealand Bangladesh test series so I think um, Lippy look I guess it's going to be over to you for your pre-prepared remarks but we want to talk probably about Glenn Phillips batting in both innings you know took the right options I think in terms of the attacking option when it was there and you know where does this rank in that and I'll use a Raj word the pantheon of New Zealand test match wins but we'll also I think talk about the pitches and the spin selections as well but yeah um, what were three or four days after that uh, fantastic climax to the test match actually as a neutral watching it I I switched it on with probably about 90 minutes uh, to go and um, it was great to watch as a neutral maybe for you yeah yeah. but what, what about from your perspective it wasn't much fun to watch from my perspective when New Zealand was batting. Pretty fun when we were bowling, but, you know, obviously being a spinner, someone who uh, appreciates spinners kind of having their moment, I certainly enjoyed when New Zealand was bowling. But, yeah, I mean, look, let's let's start with Phillips because I think the, the narrative of this test, you know, you mentioned pitches before, I think the narrative of this test match a lot of it has been around the pitch and what happened and, and all of that stuff. But But I think really the big thing the, the exciting thing is what what Glenn Phillips did and, and really uh, you know while we were all sitting here talking about Ruchan Ravindra and uh, you know the, the impact that he could have on the test team here's Glenn Phillips gets his opportunity and, and look you know I think we could argue till the cows come home or you know probably everyone around this table thinks that Ravindra should have been in that lineup somewhere but the fact that if in the selector's mind the decision was let's pick Ravindra or Phillips well, they nailed it. Like, Phillips has had an absolutely brilliant series on two pitches that, um, you know, they were very different in terms of how difficult they were. This one in particular was incredibly difficult, and Glenn Phillips scored 127 runs and only dismissed once. So, you know, the impact for what he's done and the performance, I mean, those 127 runs, you would probably say that they were worth, just about, you know, 300, 400 on, on uh, you know, on a flat wicket. And in terms of what he's done, maybe for, you know, the trajectory of his career, which we talked about what Ravindra might have done in the World Cup, Glenn Phillips' last couple of months, adding bowling to his bow, you know, the runs that he scored, I think that's now played a big part in what we might see over the next six months to six to 12 months for, for Glenn Phillips. So very, very exciting. Baldy, anything, anything from, from you on Glenn Phillips? Well, I think there's a big debate prior to the test series about whether or not he was even going to play and as you said Stuart the selectors have nailed the decision if it was going to be between Phillips and Ravindra and all other things being equal he turned the ball the opposite way to Santner and Ajaz and and Ish Sodi 
then the selectors have nailed that decision. We might not agree with it. I, I think everybody in cricketing circles has been just yelling five eight five seven eight five seven eight five seven eight. Look how many <laughs> runs Ratchan Ravindra scored in the World Cup. Why isn't he in the team? But Glenn Phillips has absolutely nailed hit this series and is should be absolutely rusted on for this home summer. He should be absolutely locked into the number six position for New Zealand. He might not be, but he, he should be because he's absolutely done nothing wrong. And he is now the incumbent and you've got to get past him to get into the team. So, yeah, he's he's had a great series. Well, and I think what he... Yeah, I mean, on that, I think absolutely. If he's not at number seven or six or wherever they want to put him in Blundell, you know, if he's if he's not even, not in the lineup, you know, whether Henry Nichols survives after this, I, th- I think the the question that, you know, people are going to hate me for saying this, but if they thought Henry Nichols was the right player to play now, I don't think two tests in horrendous conditions means you make means has changed your mind in particular if you're a selector that's again not the decision I would make I would put Phillips up up to five or four or probably five put Mitchell at four go with Blundell go with Ravindra at seven or, or whatever order you want to put you know that combination of four five six seven I would make that decision but you know if we look at back to the New Zealand home summer last year we had Michael Bracewell batting at seven He's still injured. I think Glenn Phillips completely fills that role now and, and deserves to, to be in that spot. And, and I think what he did so well in this test, which we haven't... I mean, we, we talked about... Binksy, maybe I'll let you expand in a second about the options that he took. But I thought that what he did really is is that he had a plan. And, and I know we talked a little bit last week about a lot of those batters that just didn't seem to have a plan against the spin because... Yeah, when you're playing on difficult conditions and, and in different situations, you've got to kind of limit your game, maybe, and to do what doing, you know, you can't play all the shots that you might have played on a flat wicket and, and at the basin or in Perth or, wherever, you know, wherever you guys were, were talking about before. And I think the thing that stood out to me about Phillips is the way he used the crease. You know, it's not something I necessarily notice. You know, I'm not, you know, a big... Uh, I don't necessarily notice everything about batters, but he was able... He talked, actually, after the game about how he used the crease or about how he decided, I'm not going to get hit on the pads. He said, you know, I'm going to use my bat, and it looked a bit unconventional at times. Sometimes he was his pads are out of the way and the ball's spinning and he's, you know, having to jam down on the ball when it didn't bounce. But the way he was able to play it really late... I think actually helped and, and in those conditions you might think actually going back is terrible but he went look this my hands are so quick I can get down and kind of react to the ball I'm going to get back but yeah Binksy I mean do you want to talk about the the attack side of things because you said that that was a big part of it for you yeah look there's a lot to, to unpack there from, from both of your comments I think um, come back to, to, to Raj who's not on the pod he always says things are never as good or as bad as they seem and we're talking about a couple of knocks from a guy that's three tests into his career mm. uh, we're talking about a situation where Michael Bracewell had a fantastic impact on um, all the formats he was playing for, for New Zealand and I think if you go around the world in any other country um, his injury he'd come back into the side because he was the man in possession when he was injured and I, I think then the other factor that sort of goes through my mind is we're often picking very very different teams when we play away in the, in subcontinent conditions we'll come on and talk about England squad to India in a minute mm. um, which will bear no resemblance to what they pick at, at home um, and I'd you know I, I'd hazard that your side won't have very much resemblance to what you've not picked, the bowling attack what you've certainly picked, not the attack what, you know what you've picked away so I, th- I think there's a lot of different permutations there um, you you know, I, I think I, I'm worried for Ajaz um, and kind of where this leaves him when you've got Bracewell, Santner, Phillips, 
um, and Ratchin, who can all offer something with the ball from a spin perspective. And if you can get two or three of those guys into the side, it probably gives you enough of a spinning option that you don't need him. But from Phillips's performance in this test match, um, yeah, I, I thought what he did really, really well, um, aside from, you know, using the bat, which I think is an old fashioned way of pa- playing yeah. spin. You know, you, you look at some of those, you know, guys, even even in the relatively modern era, someone like Brian, Brian Lara didn't often, you know, get hit on the pad. He was like, I want to hit the ball. I want to play outside um, in front of my pad, which wasn't what you're taught in the textbook. It was to get your bat alongside your pad. But if you look at good players of spin, Kevin Peterson's another one that springs to mind that, we, you know, would have played in that kind of fashion. They're trying to access the ball. But what he did really, really well, I think, is he waited until the guys got too full to him. And then he he, he trusted his ability from a range hitting, you know, a one day perspective mm-hmm. to go, I'm going to hit this for six. Um, it can't deviate as much as if it's a little bit shorter because it's right under my eyes and I'm going to back myself to get the required elevation to hit the ball out of the stand when I can and when I then play and miss at one that does something absolutely ridiculous (laughs) then I'm just going to go that doesn't matter that ball has now passed it hasn't got me out um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait for that delivery that, that I'm able to, to put away. So and I think he's one of the best in the team at doing that, at least on externally. You can see him when one flies past yeah. his shoulder and he's kind of like, whoa, and he like commentates it while he's there. He's, he's yeah. fantastic while he's in that mood, you know, fantastic to watch and from an entertainment point yeah. of view. And, and I think Santner also played his part c- clearly in that partnership as well. You know, 35 is worth, you know, 75 on that wicket. Yeah. So, you know, he, he batted, re- you know, really, really well. Mm. Um, throughout the the course of yeah the course of that test match, can we talk about the pitch? Sure. Uh, and the way I want to frame this, and I, I've kind of given you a little bit of a heads up. I, I remember having a very similar conversation when I think England got ambushed on a couple of Bunsen burners. Um, I, I use the word ambush; that's not factual. Um, it's, it's opinion based. Um, but you know, I, and I remember Raj again, um, sort of saying, "Well, hold on a sec. Nah, you can't whinge about those pitches." So my question really is, you know, how is this massively different to? a three-day test match at the Basin or at Perth or at Headingley or at the Wanderers where it seems around all over the shop and, you know, Norkia and Rabada or Anderson and Broad or Stark and Cummins and Hazelwood uh, nick everyone off and the game's over in in, in, in three uh, three days. How is that any worse than one that um, rags all over the place uh, for, for, for three days? Well, I'll answer because you're looking at me. One, one first point is I, I don't think we see those pitches very often anymore. You know, you, you know, I, I think the there was an article and I think Stuff put it out um, here in New Zealand around worst pitches ever because I think that comments come from Tim Southey. Basically, yeah. he, he came out after the test match and called it the worst pitch he's ever played on. And I think you know they so uh, Stuff ranked the top five worst pitches. Uh, that New Zealand have had and some of them were New Zealand pitches New Zealand conditions where we've you know if you want to use the ambush word ambushed India before in the past and I can think of a couple of occasions where uh, you know India's been rolled for for a hundred you know a hundred not not much more than that here in New Zealand but they were they were like 20 years ago now and and I just don't think we see them and and look that's not to say that we that those aren't different like yes if uh, but I think that the the big thing that stood out to me about this particular wicket is what Saudi talked about and it was just the fact that there was just no contest between bat and ball and actually when you when when they played 
when spinners got it right, it was actually just impossible to bat. It wasn't even like you if you bat well, you can survive, or it, you, if you have some sort of game plan. And look, you know what we've just said about Phillips kind of counters that a little bit. But I actually don't think Bangladesh bowled particularly well. And look, Phillips was dropped on naught. He was uh, there were there were plenty of balls that went past the bat. It just became down to luck. Like basically, if Bangladesh bowled the ball in the right area and the ball and the pitch did its thing, you actually couldn't play. And I think that's that's the part of it that I didn't enjoy. You know, worst worst pitch ever. I don't know, but I think that just the fact that there's nothing like it it was a genuine lottery, and you just don't see that uh, very very often. Bordy. As far as outcomes are concerned, a three-day test match where there's an uneven contest between bat and ball is not a good outcome for cricket or for its fans, no matter where it's played or no matter whether it's seeming or spinning. I think the I, issue that I... Can I, I just say, it wasn't even a three-day test, to be fair. There was a day of rain in between. It was barely, you know, it was barely two and a bit days of, of cricket. So, yeah, you know, three days would have been nice. And, and I agree. And the, the, the challenge that I have with this particular wicket is that there's not just seam, but there's there's excessive spin and uneven bounce. And the combination of those two things, you're trying to combat two dimensions of, of movement. And sometimes it's okay to combat a seaming ball if you're able to, you know, get down the wicket or, you know, play inside the ball or whatever. Where it gets really, really difficult if, is if it is doing things in, in, you know, horizontal and vertical dimensions. I just want to read the quote, though, that the thing that got me is the quote from the Bangladesh captain after the test. And I want to read this verbatim because I think it's important. And there may be language barriers here that make this sound worse than it is. But this is the quote from the, the Bangladesh captain after the game. When we play tests, we are not here to improve. I agree, completely agree. This is not a place for practice. We are trying to win the test, Shanto said. So absolutely... No uh, problems there. No problems there. Absolutely 100%. He's absolutely right. This is from Crick Info that I'm reading for this. It's important that we prepare to win the test. Completely agree. But we should definitely take this type of advantage. We can prepare in first-class cricket by trying out good wickets. We should prepare wickets like these and wickets like away conditions in NCL, i.e. the National Cricket League, or BCL, the Bangladesh Cricket League. This is the issue that I have with this wicket, is there is no pretense that this was a good cricket wicket, right? Mohammad Hafiz, the Pakistan t- cricket manager, has come out this week in the warm-up game between Australia and Pakistan and said that he was very disappointed with the wicket conditions that Australia had prepared for that test match. And many might agree with him. The corollary is that the ground was underwater a week in advance of the test match. So there's only so much you can do to prepare a wicket in those kinds of conditions. Mm. It seems to me that there was no effort, maybe, maybe the wrong word, there's no desire to produce a good cricket wicket in this circumstance. The desire is to produce a cricket wicket that maximises one team's chance of winning, and it's backfired in this case. And I don't think that is a good advertisement for test cricket for neutral fans or for the game in general, regardless of whether or not it resulted in Bangladesh winning or losing the test match, and they've lost it in this particular instance, thanks to an excellent effort from Glenn Phillips and maybe some subpar bowling from their spin department. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a really interesting one because I think when you're when you're parochial about it, and you no, know, I have been in the past when you know I, you know we referred to those two tests in in, in India that England played. Um, we played on a flat deck and won the test match, and then l- literally got you know spun to death Complete, by, completely by, by, but then 
I kind of then think back and think about, you know, other sports and you, you think about uh, football where, you know, you, you, you would literally mow the grass differently um, on your home pitch so that, you know, the ball would stay in the corners if you wanted to play a long ball game and just put the ball over the top. Or if you had two great wingers, you'd extend the pitch and make it wider. Um, or, you know, if you didn't and your central midfield players were really good, you'd go to the minimum width of football pitch. So I guess for me, there isn't a, you know, there isn't a rule about this that, you know, that there is a home conditions component to test cricket. So, um, you know, we, we, we use cricket balls all around the world that are different as well. Um, so I, it's one of those things I'm asking the question as to whether it should be something that you know you you have to you have to be able to counter it isn't the responsibility of the home side to produce the best cricket wicket it's to produce the best cricket wicket to suit their uh, their team but but fans will vote with their feet then right like it and 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 cricket fans should vote with their feet by not choosing not to watch games where it doesn't produce an even contents between bat and ball i mean it, test cricket is struggling enough as it is in the face of the rising popularity of t20 that a game like this does nothing for the betterment of test cricket for the average casual fan right now you can argue that you know, Australia producing a wicket that seems where we roll Pakistan or whatever, as, as has happened in the past, or England producing a green seamer for a visiting subcontinent team, is exactly the same thing. But the reality is that there is a more even contest between bat and ball in a lot of those test matches than there were in this particular instance. I'm not saying that subcontinent teams shouldn't produce spinning pitches. They absolutely can, and I would love to bowl on them. Um, and there is some terrific cricket played on low, slow-turning wickets. But when it goes too far, as it has done in this circumstance, it is not a great advertisement for the betterment of test cricket, and we're going to lose fans as a result, and we're already doing so. Well, and I, I, would, I mean, to pick up on that, the if you look back to the first test, like, if you look back to the first test, you know, I'm a big... Uh, advocate of the home conditions and you know I, I think in that debate I'm, I probably was on the side of you know yes India should use that advantage you know I, I think it's great that you go around the world and you have play in different conditions and you've got to you know you've got to counter uh, the, the conditions that are there and you've got to come up with new ways to be an excellent batter and and you know that's how we judge the greats that they can they can play in all of those different yeah. conditions and they can that they have home and away you know think about our, our Hall of Fame we the home and away records is something we looked at for pretty much all the the batters that we talked about but look back at that first test I think we got a great test match because of the conditions they were really tough to score at but 300 you know 300 was a good score and it was you know if you bowled really really well which is what Tigel did in that first test he was able to get a lot of success New Zealand spinners weren't able to bowl with the consistency that he was so there the Bangladesh batters were able to counter that and score in lots of different areas you look back at this test and it just was like it wasn't like okay it's favoring Bangladesh because they have better spinners it was just it's favoring anyone who bowls on that spot and nobody can con combat some of the balls that were being bowled and and that's the point that Baldy made it's the point that Tim Southey's been making yeah it, it you know it just it said it turned from this is you know this is a challenge to this is luck now I, I think I think the quality of the wicket can sometimes be summed up by the fact that you know Michael Clark gets six for nine or Joe Root gets a gets a five for like hey like, hey hey I know I know I know I'm all for a part-timer getting a getting a big bag but you know what I mean, right? It's yeah. when, when those guys are able to dominate the opposition, um, it's it's not brilliant, uh, even if it's great for that particular player. Yeah, 
Look, I don't think we're going to. Anyway, I don't think we're going to come to consensus on this because you know, I, I think from from my perspective, the only reason I turned on and watched the last ninety minutes is because I saw the slack blowing up and saying this is ridiculous. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to tune in and watch the horror show. So I think in terms of your you know eyeballs on the game, I tuned in specifically yeah, to watch something that was ludicrous. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I think that so, sometimes that is the beauty of seeing different pitches. This one maybe went too far, and I, you know, I, I think certainly that balance between bat and ball wasn't there, but you know. I don't think we see, you know, I don't think we always see that balance uh, balance between bat and ball. And, and sometimes we talked about one dayers. We talked about the fact we don't always want to see the homogenised flat wicket where it's 330 plays 330. We, we occasionally want to see one where, you know, it seems around a little bit and all of a sudden you've got someone, you know, 20 for four in the power play. And, and, and it's, a, it, you know, it's a bit more of an interesting game, game to mm. watch. But yeah, we, we probably won't come to consensus. What do we want to talk about in terms of, I want to ask a question, like, and look, th- this is an obvious one. One each and we've not got a deciding to test match. It, but- two test match series. This, this has got to be, again, another blot in the copybook of the scheduling um but what you know what now for, for new zealand where does this rank in in terms of test match victories away from home for you do you think well look i i did see a bit of uh even you know in our friend group a bit of chat going around about you know this is one of the new zealand's best away wins ever and, and look i look i'm not a historian of the game I, I i'm terrible at remembering results and all that kind of stuff but i, I do think that you know raj and i talked last week about how our expectations for this tour especially were that New Zealand would go over there and win yeah and I think in hindsight maybe that was being you know maybe that was being a bit too aggressive New Zealand you know have have had struggles in the past going over to Bangladesh we've we haven't had it easy over there but I think you know my uh, the reason I did that is because I looked on paper and went look they're missing Shakib, they're missing uh, Tuscan they're missing players uh, Tommy McBold's situation they'd been terrible at the World Cup New Zealand is a better side than them I think and that they you know they should have done better is, is this a triumph over the conditions as much as a triumph over the opposition it doesn't feel like this is New Zealand's greatest win against a high quality opposition in a very tough game I think this is New Zealand have conquered both the opposition and the wicket to a certain extent and pulled a victory that looked unlikely from a from a conditions point of view. So I don't think it's necessarily... It's a great win for New Zealand, don't get me wrong. It's a great win for Phillips and Santner to chase, mm. chase down some very, very difficult conditions, chase down those runs. But I don't think this is New Zealand's greatest performance in terms of the quality of, of opposition that they're playing, with no disrespect to the Bangladesh team who are, as you say missing a lot of superstars and a lot of very high quality players yeah and look I think that's that probably sums it up better than I can because yeah they it was the I think also the fact that they'd lost that first test made this test uh, you know even more feel even more uh, significant, significant yeah. because of the way that they they bounced back and, and they had to you know look Saudi lost both those uh, tosses they had to bat second and last on, on you know in both those games that proved very very difficult in that uh, in that first test and it looked like it was going to be again you know Glenn Phillips came in at 50 for 5 in both in- innings mm. you know it looked like you mentioned the, the contribution that Santana made when when those two were at the crease it, it looked like New Zealand could be all out 60, 70, 80 yeah. like it was it was very you know it was dire straits for New Zealand there we were we were looking you know Blundell, you know, Blundell Conway all, all these players that we've come to rely on have, they, they looked completely at sea and it looked like they were going to crumble again so look it's it's an important win for New Zealand because look we had we go back to our home summer now and you know if it was 
uh, whatever it is, you know, we go home and we have no points on the board from this World Test Championship. We mentioned it last week. We've got South Africa at home now, a couple of tests. They, it looks like, are going to bring their second side. Then we, then we have Australia. You know, then we have a lot of tough encounters after that. We're away. We're away in India at one point. We're away in Sri Lanka. Yeah. You know, we we play England at home next summer. So there's a lot of tough challenges coming up. And you know, we we sort of hyperbolically kind of said is it the world test championship over for new zealand after that first loss but i think two two losses in the yeah. bounce and it and it might have felt that way so yeah look I, I think it's credit to to those guys coming back and even you know the likes of ajaz and santner and you know there was a huge amount of criticism on ajaz after that first test performance and you know for him to to bounce back and get nine wickets in the match and and particularly six for in that that second innings again look it's friendly conditions but I still got to put the ball in the right areas, as Bangladesh showed. You have to put the ball in the yeah. right areas as a spinner if you're going to take wickets in the subcontinent. And if you don't, you're going to get pummeled. Exactly. And and actually, you know, like we talked about a, a bit last week, but he's got the best average of any spinner that have, that's taken 50 test wickets for New Zealand. Like, yes, you got to con- uh, put the conditions on that that he only really yeah, only plays over, right? in, oh, yeah. in, in spin-friendly conditions. And someone like Daniel Vittori, who, you know, I think AJ's average is 29 now, uh, Daniel Vittori averages about 34. He had to do countless overs and, you know, bowling on flat wickets in Australia, on flat wickets, you know, on glued pitches in New Zealand and and all of these tough, you know, these tough stints and and many, many overs kind of carrying our attack. But AJS has given a pretty good account of himself when he's been given the opportunities. And yes, you know, it's a tough gig being a spinner in New Zealand and, and the way that the spinners are being used in terms of, you know, you only play these away games. You play two or three, four tests a year, Max. and you and you're supposed to come in and in those games and win us the game. And look, he put his best foot forward in this game, so I'm just really happy for him. Mm, agreed. Look, let's move away from New Zealand, Bangladesh. We, we'll probably continue with the pitches theme, though. Uh, we're going to lead into the Australia-Pakistan um, yep. test series. Mohammed um, Hafiz, I think we've already mentioned, team directors criticised the pitch and the conditions for Pakistan's warm-up game. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally, it's a, a one-day game, isn't it? That president's game, but they've been playing it as a... Yeah, it's been a four-day game the last two yeah. years, but up until then, it's been a, a limited uh, overs fixture, yeah. Yeah, so playing in, in Canberra, uh, I think you mentioned, Bordy, it had been pretty wet, so uh, mm-hmm. there's probably not too much to say about this, but um, then it's going to be over to the Waka. And again, this, I've got no problem with this. It's, you know, you, you, you play in Canberra or Cairns or Brisbane and then the first test somewhere completely alien. That That's part of playing overseas, isn't it? I think so, yeah. I, I think as much as we... We want an even contest between bat and ball, but I am a big advocate for all nations having some level of natural home conditions playing a part, whether it's spin in the subcontinent or pace and bounce in Australia and South Africa, seam and swing in England and to a lesser extent here in New Zealand, absolutely. Um, in 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 defence of the Monica Oval situation, yeah, the ground was literally underwater not that long ago, um, like completely underwater. So preparing a good cricket wicket can be challenging in those circumstances uh, when you have to float the roller out to the middle uh, in order to get on the get on the deck. It is a load surface in, in Canberra. Normally, it is not a pacey, bouncy wicket at Monica Oval. Um, was, was the issue that it was just too flat? Because didn't Sean Mahood... Too, too, too slow. Too yeah. slow. Because yeah. Sean Mahood scored a double hundred. Today. Yeah, and all the, all the Australian batters in the bat-off that we will get to um, all scored 49 or more yeah. um, in, that, in that audition uh, to replace David Warner at some point. 
uh, in the future. Uh, but yeah, there, there wasn't a lot for the bowlers to take uh, from that series, which is, I think, a bit of a disappointment for Pakistan because they're looking for guys to step up mm. going into this test series. They've got an attack that's uh, missing some some key key elements to it. And I think they were hoping that their guys would get a little bit more confidence, a little bit more pep in their step uh, going into Perth, knowing what they can expect from that from that pace attack, because they're looking for someone to stand up to support uh, our favourite player in the Pakistan team, Shaheen Shah Afridi, um, who's a bit of a, a lone gun. Yeah, who didn't play this warm-up game, and no. neither did uh, Hassan Ali, I don't think, did he? No, and I think those guys are locked in for that yeah, Pakistan yeah. team in the first test, so they will be they will be managing their workloads and all that kind of sports psychology talk so, so you mentioned that bat off um so marcus harris matt mm-hmm. renshaw cameron green um and, and cameron bancroft um yeah what did we take anything out of that warm-up game it's hard to because they all got starts and renshaw happened to go on and get 130 batting at three um and i think he was not out was he at the end of the at yeah. the end of the innings cameron green got some runs etc et so i don't think we've really learned anything and unfortunately the selectors probably haven't learned anything either um the challenge with those guys is bancroft's got like 600s in 18 months so he's he's been scoring a lot of runs prior to this season harris had been scoring a lot of runs in shield cricket as well and renshaw's always been there or thereabouts in the minds of the selectors so i don't think this has really told us anything other than they're all pretty similar kind of you know players at the moment they all average somewhere in the order of 38 to 40 at at first class level none of them have really made their mark at test level so there's no real standout character here which is why there's a lot of talk in the press about should Manus open should Travis Head go up to open the batting and he said he's not going to do that he said he's not going to do it he doesn't want to do it he's happy to bat at five which is probably fair enough because for two reasons one he's a great counter-attacking number five he's one of the 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 best Mm. we've had in a little while and two he's probably not going to get the same treatment from the short ball at number five than he is at number than he is at number one you know you'd often face quite juicy conditions first yeah. morning of the test match so if he has a weakness against short pitch bowling much more likely in my view to be exploited by a hard new ball in juicy conditions than maybe two or three hours into the test where it's kind of settled down a bit in terms of the wicket so um yeah should mitchell marsh open the batting should cam green go up to four look there are so many possible permutations for australia at the moment and unfortunately none of those guys have really in this fixture yep. differentiated themselves from the opposition except for maybe Renshaw but in my view he's probably I think in the minds of the selectors the third guy in the pecking order anyway so like, what do we tell from this series I don't really know well, what do you want to see happen once once Warner goes because I mean look it's yeah a lot of their attention has been on him the last couple of weeks because mm. of uh, Mitchell Johnson's comments and all of that kind of stuff but it actually isn't that far away now right so he's got this series and, and then we're done for Warner yeah series uh, three, against test, three test series Pakistan. against Pakistan yep. yep and I think that finishes in Sydney if I remember rightly yep. which, New is, Year's the, Day. which yep. is the one that, that David Warner wants to go out on uh, and then we'll find out in the West Indies series who's going to open with Usman Khawaja long term what would I like to see happen I'm actually not really that sure because for me none of those guys have really differentiated themselves at test level Mm. or first class level they've all had some reasonably good first class careers Um, Cameron Bancroft scored a lot of runs I think in the mind of a lot of Australian fans Cameron Bancroft is still suffering from the aftermath of the South Africa incident um, and probably carries a black mark in the minds of a lot of Australian cricket fans we've tried Marcus Harris at test level a number of times he hasn't really come off um, I don't know that trying Marcus Harris again is the way forward for Australia. Uh, we've tried Matt Renshaw a couple of times and he had a, a, a really good build-up 
to the last time he played test cricket and then away and had two tests, didn't make any runs yeah. and has now fallen back to pecking order. So, look, I don't really know. <laughs> I, so I, I was a good big bash. Could they put themselves in the window? Absolutely, and that's what the selectors have actually said. They've actually said that white ball runs maybe maybe has some currency. So we might see something completely different. Look, I would like to see all other things being equal, a healthy Will Pukowski open the batting for Australia because I think he's the long-term answer until one of these guys like Teague Wiley or Chandra Singer or Henry Hunt or um, there's a new guy from Australia, uh, from New South Wales. No surprise that there's reps on that kid because he wears a blue cap. Um, <laughs> Bent, Bentnos, I think, is his name. He's an 18-year-old who's batted at three, made his Shield debut uh, yesterday. So he's already being anointed as a future opener for Australia after one game in the New South Wales cap, which would be no surprise to any uh, fans of New South Wales cricket. I, and I wear my Queensland badge very proudly, obviously, having said that. But Look, I think it's going to be a stopgap measure for a couple of years, but we really need to find two openers, really. Yeah, because Kawaja. Because Kawaja has got two, three years, maybe more. Uh, and no he's more. a little bit mercurial, isn't he? He could he could decide at the end of this series that he's done. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. he could. And and he, he walks to the beat of his own drummer. Yeah. He's been dropped by Australian cricket so many times that I don't think he's got any swan song in his mind. He, he's probably still thinking I could be dropped after any particular test match. So I don't know which way they'll go, but I would like to see Pukowski be the guy long-term for Australia because he's the only guy who averages 40-plus in shield cricket. And to me, that's, that's, that should the, be the, that's benchmark. the benchmark. Absolute yeah. minimum. But, but I mean, Binksy, you can answer this if you want. I mean, we're, we're going to see 3-0 Australia, though. Aren't we? Like, is there any scenario where Pakistan can put up a, a big fight here? I mean, it, their record in Australia has not been good. It, it, you know, if you look at... Uh, any side that comes to Australia, touring side, they seem to just get demolished. That's sort of part of, uh, you know, part of the summer, I guess. Uh, the the fixtures, we just know that that's going to happen. Is there any way that they can turn this around? Yeah, I think historically you're probably you're probably dead right. Um, you wouldn't. Uh, the bookmakers given much of a much of a chance. I think the thing is that you've got to be able to do in Australia is you, you've got to be able to put three fifty four hundred on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do think that these guys have got the capability to do that. So from a batting lineup perspective, they've got, um, you know, a couple of guys, more than a couple of guys, in fact. I think if I look at Imam, if I look at Shan Masood, if I look at Baba Azam, I look at uh, Saeed Shakil's come onto the scene. Yeah. Yeah. I like their top five. I, look, I really I look do. really good. Um, Safraz, you know, in, in you know the second or maybe even third <laughs> phase of his international career. So they've got, I think, the ability to, to put 350-400 on the board. I think where they're going to struggle a little bit is, um, we, we, we alluded to it, who Who's going to really back uh, back up uh, Shin Sharafridi and 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 potentially Harris Rauf um, from a, from a bowling perspective? And I, I just think it looks like a bra maybe yeah. he's injured as well. Actually, yeah, he is. He yeah. is injured. a couple so, of injuries to their bowling attacks. Yeah. Well. So so I just think you look at then the, the quality that's on offer from uh, you know Australia's bowling attack. That you know they're going to have. You know we don't even need to name them. Yeah. Um, and Nathan Lyon in you know in the hunt for his five hundredth yes, test wicket. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, four, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I, I don't give them much, uh, yeah, much chance. Border, you'll probably go the other way. No, I, I think Australia should win and should win comfortably, but we just don't know what Pakistan team we're going to get. Right? Are we going to get the one where Shah Massoud stands up and gets a double hundred as he did in Canberra, or are we going to get the one that we got in the World Cup where they were great for three or four games and then I, I don't know. 
it, it's hard, it's so hard to prepare against Pakistan because you just don't know what what you're going to get, right? And it's I think it's worth remembering the last time I think they played in Australia, they they got within thirty or forty of chasing down that four hundred score at the Gabba on the mm. on the last day of the test. So they they have the ability to score runs in Australia. I'm just not sure that failing the other than Australia's batters having a below par series like a Smith getting out in weird ways three or four times or Manus having a lean trot. I don't see how they're going to bowl Australia out often enough to, to get a test victory. But stranger things have happened. Binksy, you wanted to talk a little bit about England. There's, you know, we, we mentioned the, the ODI series last week that they, were, they had against uh, West Indies. A couple more games happen in that. Uh, but, you know, you predicted that England would bounce back but not quite to win the series. That didn't, didn't quite pan out that way. But I think you wanted to talk more about what, what their test side that's been named for India. Yeah, so, so I think probably just to touch on the uh, the ODIs, uh, I still find it really, really bizarre that we're playing an ODI series um, and then we don't play again any ODI cricket until September. Um, so well, yeah, next th- year. Um, well, we can't be this year, can <laughs> unless, unless you've got a flux capacitor handy, Baldy. <laughs> Not handy. No. Um, so yeah, so so I think yeah, we don't play. Uh, I think and, until September next year. Um, ODIs. You're making my date myself now, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, didn't quite bounce back but that final game was a little bit of a stop-start affair under the Duckworth-Lewis mm. you know England um, blown away in the power play by debutant Matthew Ford looked really impressive three for uh, three for 20 odd um, and then yeah it took um, yeah a bit of a bright spot from Ben Duckett to get us out of the poo um, and, and I think that's really the story of that series for England you know that they, they only really had one batter stand up in, in each game really yeah. um, Harry Brook had a, had a decent knock Josh Butler had a decent knock and, and Harry Brook had a decent knock but we couldn't string together um, partnerships and then West Indies um, to be fair um, I, I wouldn't say got over the line convincingly um, I think England actually fought back pretty well um, with the ball um, yeah bizarrely Will Jacks, who didn't, you know, couldn't get a bowl early in the series, um, was the guy that sort of opened that opened the door for, for an unlikely victory. Um, but yeah, they couldn't get over the line. But what what's really caught my eye is uh, Jofra Archer's been out there. Um, so our central contracts are loose as um, <laughs> Rob Key being interviewed by George DeBell, and George DeBell breaks the news to him that Jofra Archer's just played a club game, um, a three day three day club cricket. That's pretty awesome, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So well, I, I think over a number of Saturday so I think he played in the first uh, game let's take this with a pinch of salt he got four for and 11 runs one of his wickets was taken bowling left arm spin so it can't, <laughs> it can't have been too uh, too taxing a standard uh, one would suggest unless of course it was an absolute Bunsen and you know that was the, you know that was the um, that was the best option um, but then the thing that's really caught my eye and really interested to get your views on this we've talked about spin a hell of a lot is England have announced their test squad um, to go to India um, so I think probably just from a recap perspective we obviously went um, to Pakistan last year um, the emergence of Will Jacks um, on, that, on that tour so he was picked as uh, yeah. um, almost a frontline uh, front spinner he doesn't even make the squad um, England have gone in with uh, Jack Leach, not surprisingly. Yep. Um, but then no room for Liam Dawson, who um, had a stellar year in county cricket and, you know, literally has got every single branded England 12th man bib from the last uh, five years or so <laughs> in his kit bag. Um, so, you know, he, he's not going. Um, I think uh, has got some franchise gigs. So maybe he just said, do you know what? I don't want to go mix the Gatorade. I'll, I'll stick with my franchise commitments. But we've picked uh, uh, Sheeb Bashir. Uh, 10 first class wickets at the average of 
um, about 60, I believe, with a best of three for 67. Um, young though, isn't he? Young. He, he is young, yeah. He's 20, 20 years old. Um, and then Tom Hartley, uh, left arm spin. So both what, what both of these guys have got in common, um, apparently uh, Bashir has got one of the highest release points of any spinner, apparently. that. So if that's in the press release, I think you're struggling a little bit in terms of, you know, all right, we can't really talk up his 10 <laughs> first last week. It's too much, but he's got a high release point. And, hey, and look, it, high release point was very, very important next year on those Bangladesh wickets. Mitchell sent yeah, the way and, he was and, able to and, and exploit Akshar that. And as well. So I wonder whether, that you know, there is a little bit of an analytics going in there. But uh, Tom Hartley, the other guy, left arm left arm spinner and Ben Folks back in the squad as well um, apparently Johnny Bairstow's got a little bit of a, a bit of a nudge about his fitness um, okay. uh, you know told, told to, to kind of get himself in peak uh, peak condition um, but yeah I just really want to see Folks keeping wicket in that mm. side but with Stokes not able to bowl again I, I just wonder how they're going to be able to facilitate that so it, yeah it might be another um, another series of disappointment for me, but yeah, keen to get your view on the the spinners. Can can, can two guys who are, you know who have played you know with all due respect fifty first class wickets between them really go out and actually make an impact in in India in a, in a what will probably be at least a two man spin attack um, if not if not all three of them playing well, Rayan Ahmed's there as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, I mean, what what I think was weird about that selection. Look, I, and I don't have I don't really have an issue with uh, you know taking taking. I mean, essentially, uh, Key said that uh, that he's there to for those guys are there for experience in, in a way, and and Hartley is there to uh, be a Jack Leach replacement if Leach is is unavailable. So. I don't especially have a huge amount of problems with that, but the Dawson one was weird. I mean, I, yeah, now that you say that there's uh, some potentially some franchise stuff, you know, maybe he has had a word there, but Key's quote, I feel like Key said something like, he doesn't want to come and be the 12th man. It's almost like in club cricket where, you know, sometimes you struggle to pick a guy from your third grade side up to your second grade side because they go, oh, look, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather bat six and, you know, bowl a few overs in third grade than come up to reserve grade and, you know, bat eight and not bowl. So it's sort of like... I don't know when you're playing for your country you feel like actually being there would be quite important and going on a tour and, and getting your foot in the door and you never know you know Jack Leach has, has gone over there and been sick in the past and yeah. you know there's there's opportunities come up so I'm, I'm surprised in that sense that that's sort of the, the rationale but you know I, I think really they're looking at that series and going okay well we've got Leach we've got Ran Ahmed and we've got Joe Root who will probably yeah, yeah. play a, a significant part in their bowling so you don't need any more than, than the three spinners that they'll have on the park it's well, just to Raj's theory they can only bowl two well, um, yeah. one from each end yeah, yeah so look I, I don't think I think as long as everyone stays fit I don't think that's an issue and, and I guess you know things change so quickly these days if one of those guys was injured for a significant amount of time I'm sure they'd be able to fly someone else over there yeah. as a substitute but I guess it doesn't you know it doesn't kind of send the right message potentially but you know look I I, I, I kind of don't doubt much that's uh, happening with that English test side at least because well, and that's the thing you can't you cannot really argue with their selections until they've uh, had the opportunity because everything that McCollum's really touched has, has turned to gold so yeah and, and he picked you know he he I mean, look, it seemed like Ryan Ahmed was someone that, that had been earmarked for the England side for a long time, but it seemed like as well from the outside, having, you know, knowing nothing about his uh, his early stages of his career and, and county cricket, really, 
that McCullum was like, this guy's got some talent. I'm getting him in around the squad. And since then, he's been playing, you know, lots of different formats for England. So, you know, he's someone that they obviously see a big, big future in. And look, if he's he's probably now going to get his opportunity properly over in India if, if it's the, the conditions that we think it is and that they will be playing two spinners. And, and like you said, with no Will Jacks, Ryan Ahmed's probably going to have to bat eight maybe and, and contribute with the bat maybe as well. And, and that seems to be something that potentially is there for him in the future. So, mm. yeah, he's he's someone that, you know, in terms of his development and long-term uh, outlook for, for England – this series potentially could be quite interesting in, in terms yeah. of what happens for him. Uh, and Paul, have you seen a little bit of Ryan Ahmed? Um, well, I've seen little bits. I mean, there's obviously he's, there's obviously something about him, and I, yeah. I'm hoping that England are taking these two young guys, um, Hartley and and Bashir, because they see something in them and they want to invest in their future and they want to invest in Ryan and Ahmed's future. I think the thing that England and to a certain extent Australia have done for a little bit of time is pick a spitter to go on a tour and then maybe discard them and and that they never sort of see the light of day again so i'm hoping that that england continue to invest in these young kids and if they are showing promise even though their first class record now doesn't back it up that they keep having them involved in those squads i'm, I'm hoping that they get to play a lot of a cricket going forward and get that exposure against quality opposition because it would be the worst thing for their careers for them to go on one tour, get a little bit of exposure and, and maybe they play our game and, and get pumped or whatever and then get discarded for the next the next shiny bright spinner that comes along. So um, I'm hopeful that they'll they'll continue to invest in these kids because if we're right and McCullum does see something in them, then um, there's there's obviously going to be opportunities in that white ball squad going forward because Aldil Rashid and, um, and Mo Ali aren't going to be around forever. Um, so there, are, there will be opportunities going forward. Although they've just got off the plane and they're in the Caribbean for this uh, yes. C20 but series. But not forever. Yes, but not forever. For the next World Cup. It's, uh, it, maybe. it's quite early to be naming this squad, isn't it? Because India, you know, India's got a three, uh, a, is a three test or two test series against South Africa. That they've, They're playing, well, I mean, they're, they're obviously playing the, the white ball stuff now, but then they're playing the, uh, they're playing a test series against South Africa before they play this England series. So there's a lot of water to go under the bridge. Because, I mean, you know, when I was thinking about, you know, test cricket coming up, that South Africa-India series is one that I'm actually quite looking forward to. You know, I haven't looked at the this TV schedules here in New Zealand, but I'm really hoping Sky has that series because, yeah, the prospect of, I mean, we've talked about Jaiswell a lot. It looks like he might, you know, hopefully we'll get another opportunity in test cricket for, for India. Obviously did really well in, in West Indies at his debut. And, you know, that, that South African attack, particularly after this World Cup with, you know, still missing Nokia, but, you know, Janssen and Rabada and Kutsia against some of those Indian batters. It's a, it's a pretty enticing prospect for me as a neutral. Yeah, look, it's going to be a cracking uh, New Zealand summer, um, and and obviously some uh, yeah some some tours that we we're going to be able to tune into. I think, I, look, I don't know why England have named that squad so early. I guess by the time the guys get back from the Caribbean from this T Twenty uh, series now, um, it'll be what nearly Christmas, I would gather. Mm. Um, yeah, I think the, the last game around the twentieth or something like that. Yep. Um, and then this squad flies out for some prep in uh, the UAE. I think mid January or something oh, yeah. like that so that uh, look I don't know whether it's just to give that early warning or whether or not there might be some impending um, 
auctions or <laughs> decisions that need to be made around franchise deals yes. potentially um and and you know for the likes of your you know your james anderson's your johnny bairstow's you, you know your brooks your callers your duckets the guys that are you know definitely going to be there they would know what's going on but it might have been for some of those other guys um that you know they, they might be getting you know ran ahmed for example um you, you know might have been getting a gig in in one of those you know one of those tournaments otherwise so no, i don't know i don't know the, the rationale behind it should we finish on a light note? Or have um, you got something else you want to cover can I, first? Can I give some praise to Shy Hope and the West Indies? Yeah, after, absolutely. After that series, yeah. another 100 for Shy Hope, another 50 for Shy Hope. Um, continues to average 51 in ODI cricket. There's yeah. a number that sort of jumps off the page at you mm. straight away. Um, he is starting to rebuild West Indies cricket a little bit again, and I'm really excited by it. it it's teasing us again. It, it is. I just... I, it wasn't, yeah, yeah, no pun stuff. intended. Yeah, but I, I hope it doesn't... Uh, yeah, come to nothing. Andre Russell back in the squad for the T20s That's as well. So he's, yeah. he's obviously wants a, another crack at the big dance. But a bunch uh, of them, up. a bunch of them turning down contracts again i mean you know yeah, that's, no that's surprise, pretty standard that's actually yeah. pretty standard now yeah. you know a little bit was made of it but yeah it's pretty standard now and yeah. you know new zealand we obviously see trent bolton and a, and a range of other yeah. players mm. but it, look it was great i, I thought uh, alec athanase was was good throughout the course yep, of the series was. i thought matthew ford's debut was you know was pretty decent moti looked good left arm spinner as well mm. so i think yeah some, some options there for west indies and it's a great place to go and tour isn't it so you want to be playing you know that you want them to be playing longer series because they you know they deserve to be doing so so that you know uh, you get that you know particularly that fun experience it's definitely on my bucket list at a caribbean uh, a caribbean tour but yeah. beer in the first session rum in the final session there's the that sounds good that there, sounds pretty good to there, me there's the theory we'll do that at the basin reserve this year instead oh before, before you do go to the lighter note can i just say back to the back to bangladesh new zealand and all the scheduling stuff absolutely mad that now they're, they're going to be playing one day as in a week's time here in you know all of them jump on a plane go to a different country they're about to play one day as new zealand has picked uh resting resting a lot of guys in, in their squad yeah. um which means we get to see a few fresh faces uh and and will o'rourke is, yeah. is one that in particular i'm, I'm very much looking well, and forward Andy to Ashok as well who we talked about the other week didn't we not quite ready for international cricket but he's got his gig well no look yeah i mean he, he's obviously played a t20 for yeah. new zealand he, he's he's certainly someone in the mix uh, you know and, and i think that that's what we see now yeah. isn't it that people get introduced through this white ball yeah, you know I, I think he'll probably get the i think if new zealand does this well he'll probably get the Rian Ahmed treatment he'll be start to be introduced into these white ball series where there's opportunities yeah and hopefully his cricket will develop but yeah look you know on Eddie I, yeah again I just think a couple of years you know learning his craft it's, it's spin bowling stuff gig especially leg spin bowling so you know he's a he's a young player if he can learn his craft and improve his cricket he 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 has a he has real potential to to be a, a, a big player for New Zealand but yeah back on O'Rourke O'Rourke is the one that I'm I'm really uh, really, really interested to see how he goes. He's, you know, went on this. Uh, we, you know, New Zealand's been looking for for the past eighteen months, twelve months, possibly even longer, really, for you know some new seamers to to step into this and, and younger seamers to step into the fold. When inevitably, you know, we've seen Bolt, we've seen, you know, we've got Southie, we've got Wagner. When these guys kind of even Matt Henry, you know, he's he's you know over thirty. So once these guys kind of do move on, who are the next crop coming up and Will O'Rourke had a really nice season last year for Canterbury. Played it, got his opportunity for for New Zealand A. 
bowled really, really well on that New Zealand A tour to Australia. And now we're going to hopefully get to... I, I, I just want to see him get his opportunity and play because he's got a bit of gas. He's yeah, there's some, There is some talent out there in New Zealand first-class cricket on, on these young seamers. And yeah, hopefully we're going to get to see that in this ODI series coming up. Absolutely. Let's get to Geelong. So I know Border, you're you're probably keen to actually get home, aren't you? Because uh, we're into the big bash league and the Brisbane Heat, your home side, kick off in about ten minutes' time against the Sydney Thunder, who've just chosen to field. There's your live time check Ooh. to know that this is not, um, yeah, being generated in the AI world. This is real <laughs> shit here on the Top Order podcast. But we've got a game called off uh, six and a bit overs in due to an unsafe. Pitch Bordy, anything to say here, or is this just a frivolous way to end the podcast? With a bit <laughs> of beef. Frivolous way to end the podcast. Uh, what happened in Geelong? Didn't the covers blow off or something ridiculous, and it got wet or something like that? Or the water got under the covers and well, the, the made ca- it the, the captain's report at the toss was it was drenched. Apparently, yeah, uh, Nick that's not stick. great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I don't know if you saw it, but it, it, it was lit, pretty bad. It was pretty bad. And I, I, look, I guess actually just lucky, really, that someone didn't get grilled. Yeah, well, I think that's why they called it off, right? Yeah. I think the umpires went, okay, we, we, we need to call this off before someone actually gets hurt in this game. Because there's one that went through kind of stump height, and then the one off the same length went through and, you know, went straight over Josh Inglis's head. So even Aaron Fitch was kind of going, yeah, I think this is probably. It's probably time to sort of go to the sheds and play a game of cards, boys. But yeah, look, uh, not a great look for for Geelong cricket, but, you know, extenuating circumstances with, you know, it sounds like water getting in under the covers. There was a bit of talk about why there weren't more covers um, and why the whole ground wasn't covered in covers and we knew it was going to rain and why didn't we bring in more covers? I mean, there's only so much you can you can really do um, other than covering the entire ground, which happens in some some places. Um and the, uh, so again, I don't want to extend this for no reason, but there was an interesting, <laughs> there was an interesting point, um, or no, one that made me think. Let's put it like that: Ashton Turner, who was the the, the ca- captain of the Scorchers, who probably were pretty keen uh, to play given their recent big bash form, right? You know, they're going to win every tournament they play, so they're pretty confident. And mm-hmm. um, he, he said, we need to look at some flexibility with the playing conditions. For example, can we play from one end? Hmm. I think I think when uh, it gets to that point though that is when you're like okay like wh- wh- what what are we doing here like yeah. if if it's to the point where you know we're having to manufacture the situation that much yeah there obviously or is you can't bowl a left arm because one side is yeah. okay. I mean that's what they do I mean that's that's why the in test matches they have the light meter right Yeah. so that they can't go okay well you can just bowl spin forever because it's getting dark and you know it's easy to see the spinners so it's fine now they go look it's reached this point we're off yeah. I mean it's not great for the fans I mean I'm sure the fans would probably rather have sat there and watched play a game from play from one end than yeah. you know if this was 2003 and not 2023 and this was the infancy of T20 cricket I would have absolutely agreed with you that you could play from one end because people weren't taking it all that seriously, seriously. cricket yeah. didn't take itself that seriously but now we do and it's a billion dollar industry and I think you, you, you yeah. probably had dicey to yeah to play from one end and i guess partly maybe the reason this is coming up is you know geelong's not going to see too many fixtures are they so if this was at the mcg there probably wouldn't have been the same conversation Mm -hmm. but then that leans into 
if you are going to take the game on the road to, to, to some more regional centres, then they've got to have the facilities to make sure they can get the game on. Yeah, and I think this was a bit of a one-off. Like, this yeah, is unfortunately this is a one-off. Ab- absolutely, yeah. 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 Absolutely, and, and certainly, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Thoughts with uh, those in Australia that might be just about to go through some rough weather as well. So Cyclone just about to hit, I believe. Um, yeah the eastern seaboard so yeah fingers crossed um yeah not too much disruption not only to cricket but um also to uh yeah that eastern Eastern seaboard of australia but look that's probably a good place to end the pod for this evening we will be back next week lots and lots more cricket as we say every bit of an auction next week to talk about yeah we've got an auction to talk about uh, we got some previews that will be, you know, massively wrong and all that kind of, <laughs> all that kind of jazz. And it's the Christmas episode of the Top Order Podcast. The Cricketmas episode, exactly. Yeah, a- absolutely. So, uh, yeah, driving home for Christmas. There exactly. You go. What are we grateful for? All that kind of stuff. What costumes did we wear? What candy did we get? <laughs> all those things. Right, you're in charge of that for next week. Yeah, um, but for us, that is absolutely the right place to end the podcast. <laughs> uh, from Auckland, it's good night and God bless. We'll see you next week. Good night.